Welcome back to our program, How to Survive in L.A. As we continue our spiderweb of a story, let's untangle some of what we know. So our story really began with the implosion of this drug smuggling ring. And all of our characters here are tied in one way or another to John Stone and this criminal operation. We're still learning more about how this came together. John's car dealerships smuggling in drugs via his Ford cars for the Italians and Mexicans. And how his friend Eddie made the introductions and pushed for it from the beginning. Stacy was John's girlfriend and Rachel is connected to all this as Stacy's roommate. So the girls are really just trying to move on with their life and grow their acting careers. We found out later that P.I. Bob is actually Stacy's father, so he's concerned for Stacy and unsure how these gangs are going to follow through on this. Currently, he's on the trail of the name in the envelope, the one that John Stone gave to Stacy. The envelope had the name James Ricci, which led Bob to a photograph from his cop buddy. The Italians, Vincent, Mickey, and Ronnie, need to figure out who knows what, and they need to clean up any loose ends. Same goes for the Mexicans, Loza and Casper, along with cartel member Arturo. PCO, our plainclothes officer, is the cop in charge of this case on the federal level, and he's doing his best to understand it and catch any responsible parties. Let's start with him. We haven't seen PCO for a little while, but we tracked him down. Here he is with his partner. They're sitting in the car on a stakeout, watching a gang member sell drugs on a busy street corner in Hollywood. My son is completely obsessed with these things. They've infected the entire neighborhood. Everywhere you go, people are handing them out. At banks, grocery stores, restaurants, taverns, pool halls, VFWs, fucking car wash. I'm finding them all over my house. My boy and his friends sit and play with these things for hours. What are they called again? Pogs. They're like milk caps or something. They remind me of those old wooden nickels. PCO is looking through the binoculars, checking out a car. So what's the whole point of it? Well, you stack them up in some pile, you take turns trying to flip them over with a slammer, which is just a heavier version of a pog, and whatever you turn over, you keep. Sounds like a fucking waste of time if you ask me. It's basically just a way of turning kids into degenerate fucking gamblers. I blame those granolas who want to lock up parents for hitting their kids. I mean, really, my teenage son. He's going ape shit over some little piece of cardboard when he should be out chasing girls and getting his hands dirty. PCO watches as another deal goes down. Okay, here we go. PCO starts his car and begins to follow the perp involved with the drug deal. After a short time, sirens flash and the car is pulled over. PCO and his partner approach the car. Uh, hello, officer. Here is my... Does it look like I care? Hand it over. Um, hand what over? The fucking coke, that's what. Hand it over. Wait. Aren't you... Hey, Jim. 
I think we got a celebrity here. It's Charlie Chapman. His partner looks closer. Well, what do you know? Looks like we got ourselves a bona fide Hollywood scumbag in our midst. Better roll out the red carpet. Um, I assure you, officer, whoever you're thinking about is not me. Are you calling me a liar? Fuck. What's your name again? Something to do with laundry. Listen, I'm really sorry, officer, but I think there's been some kind of misunderstanding. Okay, now I really want to see your license. Hand it over. The man reaches into his wallet to produce his license. PCO grabs it and takes a look. Corey Jacobs? That's bullshit. Some balls on you, pal, handing an officer a fake license. Uh, I can assure you... Do you think I really give a fuck? Hand me the fucking coke before I haul your ass downtown. The man reaches underneath his seat and gives the coke to PCO. Do you know how many innocent people die each year so you can put that shit up your nose? I'm really sorry, officer. I'm going to be totally honest with you. Get the fuck out of here. And if I catch you again, I'll make sure the paparazzi are here to watch me put the cuffs on. Do you understand me? Yes, sir. The man drives away as PCO and his partner, Jim, make their way back to the car. God damn, how many celebrities have we busted today? It's like the entire fucking cast of Schindler's List. Either way, we have to make sure the lab tests this shit. If it's the same stuff that we picked up headed to those Italians in Vegas, it could really help our case. Hey, any news on those Mexican boneheads? Bob did some snooping today. He followed the Italians to their warehouse to have a look. Over a few hours surveillance, he saw several Ford Escorts enter and a handful of Italians go in and out, including Vincent, Mickey, and Ronnie. Now, Bob is meeting with his friend's brother, his friend Rudy, the one with the big dollar security firm who asked him to get a document signed to stop his elderly father from selling the family home. Bob's visiting Rudy's brother in a rundown apartment. His caretaker is in the other room. Oh yeah? Is that when you had your blue period? Yes. Yes, it was. From 1901 to 1904. At least that's how they defined it. I always felt my work was a continuation of one period to the next. How can you put an end date or a start date on such a thing? Hmm. You see, my friend, Casagamus, took his own life. Okay. I could feel his blood. I could see the redness of it. The dark strawberry color, but bright, like a sun is almost setting. The way I remember them as a child. A Karuna. Is that right? I sank into a depression, knowing I should have been there. 
I would have given anything to change that. But I wouldn't be who I am today if I hadn't lived it. Did you ever want to be anything else besides an artist? <laughs> the first word I ever spoke on this earth, lapis, pencil. I couldn't have opened any other door. There weren't any others. You know, I heard maybe you stole the Mona Lisa. That old story? Why would I want that thing? Let the tourists fight over glimpses. I've seen it. That's enough for me. Now, Pablo. Can I call you Pablo? The man nods. Mr. Picasso. Now, I'm here because of your brother. And I'm afraid it's serious. What brother? Your brother. I have two sisters. Well, I, I had. Conchita was taken by the Deferia. Let's call him a close confidant then. He needs you to sign this. Bob hands him a piece of paper. What is this? Your father has passed. Father? How did he... In his sleep. Time goes slow, minute by minute. And so fast through the years. You got that right. The crazy brother holds up the paper. This is to secure his burial? Sure. Let's call it that. The brother puts the paper in front of him. Bob hands him a pen. He sloppily signs it and hands it back over to Bob. Bob puts it in his pocket and starts to leave. Hey, you speak Spanish? Spanish? It's my mother tongue. Hmm. I don't find comfort in it anymore. Okay. See ya, Pablo. He pushes the door open and heads out. The artist stands up. It's Pablo Picasso! Pablo, Diego, Jose, Francisco, De Paula, Juan, Nepomencino, Maria, De La Rosmito, Cipriano, De La Santisma, Trinidad, Ruiz y Picasso! A young man is driving an expensive convertible on a busy street in West Hollywood. While at a stoplight, the man looks at his reflection in glass and smiles. It's Trevor. Now, Max and Trevor obviously got roped into the John Stone Circus by taking a job from their guy, Farad. The goal was to get the contents of the safe, but they ended up killing Terry, John's wife. The light turns green and Trevor speeds off. He sees a group of women walking and slows down. You ladies are banging. Where are you headed? Care for a ride? Like, yuck. Really? You think I'm just going to get in some stranger's car? Oh, come on. You girls ever been in a convertible before? 
You couldn't even handle any of this, okay? Like, talk to the hand. Trevor watches the woman walk away, then rifles through the car and takes a cigar box from underneath the passenger seat. Opening the box, he finds a bunch of Cuban cigars and a bag of white powder. He takes a handful of the cigars and the bag, then stuffs them into his pocket. He notices the time on the dashboard. Oh, fuck. He starts the car and speeds off. Trevor pulls up to a fancy restaurant where a disgruntled patron is waiting for his car. What the fuck took you so long? The patron's name is Rich Halzer. Sorry, dude. There was a bad accident down the street. Jammed up traffic pretty good. Trevor gets out of the car and hands the keys to the patron, who proceeds to walk around the car. I'm supposed to buy that bullshit? I know what you were up to, asshole. Oh, wait. What's this? Did you scratch my fucking car? I don't know what you're talking about, man. I swear I didn't hit anything. Come here. Look right there. You see that? Rich Halzer is a degenerate gambling jack asshole and founder of Bark Bark Meow, number four in pet stores across the USA. Trevor reluctantly walks over to him, where he's standing and bends down. Let me explain something to you. This is a Mercedes. Do you know what that means? It means that I'm important. Do you understand? A person with power and respect. Not some goddamn shit-stained valet. Listen, man, like I said, I didn't do anything to your car. What? So now you're calling me a liar? Do you know how much money I've poured into this town so that assholes like you can sleep until noon and jerk off all day? As the conversation becomes heated, a valet manager approaches. Well, not just any valet manager. It's Max. I'm sorry, sir. Is he giving you a problem? Why, actually, yes. He scratched my car, probably while joyriding around town, and now he's standing here like a jackass pretending it didn't happen. Sir, as his boss, I can assure you he will be fired immediately. He's been nothing but a problem since he started. I take it you're a regular here? That's correct. Perfect. Okay. We have your vehicle information on file. I'm going to have the owner contact you regarding the scratch, if that's all right. Of course, of course. Not a problem. The patron turns to Trevor. You see, kid? It pays to be a somebody. Too bad for you, you're a horseshit valet living some garbage life. I'm going to go home to my mansion and fuck a supermodel. This guy's got super low self-esteem. He hates himself. He's going to go home and yell into the mirror, saying, You're a loser! You'll always be a loser! And then, after a while, he'll get an oversized bowl of cereal, take it to his room, and watch Sally Jesse Raphael. Rich Halzer gets into his fancy car and speeds off. Max and Trevor walk past the valet booth, leaving several other customers waiting for their cars. Dude, I owe you one big time. You totally saved my ass back there. That dude was getting ready to punch you, man. I could see him clenching his fist. Oh, man, I wish he would have. I would have ducked quick and then knocked that fucker right out. So did you get anything good? 
Well, nothing worth too much. I think I might have swiped some Cuban cigars. Oh, yeah. I also grabbed all that dude's Coke. So fuck him. Nice one, dude. We'll definitely put that to good use. Check this out. Max lifts up his shirt to reveal a Rolex watch. Oh, shit, man. Is that thing real? You bet your ass it is. I'm like 99% positive it's real. It's got a good weight to it, and the hardware on the band seems to be better than that shit I've seen downtown. Either way, we have to go see Farad. It's still early. In the Mexican town of San Juan de la Vega, a parade of people carrying sledgehammers are walking towards the central plaza. In a nearby alleyway, a group of young boys are taking turns taping explosives to the ends of their sledgehammers. They finish up and run to join the rest of the parade. The mass of people fill the plaza. There is music in the air and the few saloons are packed to the brim. A priest comes out into the center and says a quick prayer in the honor of St. John the Baptist. Men with sledgehammers in hand step forward, making their way to construction grade I-beams set about the plaza. Arturo and his crew are seated nearby drinking tequila, watching as men take turns slamming explosive hammers onto the beams. After some time, a kid runs up to Arturo. Come on, man. Let's see what you got. Shoo, little man. Maybe later. What? Are you chicken or something? Don't make me have to embarrass you in front of all these people. The kid runs off. Arturo motions to one of his guys. A man disappears. He returns holding a black duffel bag. Arturo opens the duffel bag to reveal a giant gold sledgehammer with a wad of explosives duct tape to the end of it. As Arturo gets up, he takes one last swig of his tequila and makes his way to the excitement. People stop what they're doing to cheer him on. Arturo comes up to an I-beam. One of his guys hands him a pair of leather gloves and a Jason mask. Arturo plants his feet firmly on the ground, jumps into the air with arms raised, and slams his sledgehammer onto the beam. A loud explosion shakes the plaza. Plumes of white smoke fill the air as Arturo is thrown back several feet. Members of his crew come to his aid. Oh, are you okay, brother? Yeah, I think I'm fine. That might be the biggest fucking explosion I've ever seen, brother. Well, you have to let people know who the boss is, am I right? Arturo dusts off his suit and hands the gloves back to one of his crew members. He picks up his sledgehammer off the ground and begins to walk back to where he was sitting. He sees the boy from earlier and hands him the golden sledgehammer. Arturo takes a seat and immediately takes a swig from his tequila bottle. A man taps him on the shoulder and whispers into his ear. Arturo gets up, goes inside the saloon, and picks up the phone. Yes? Yes? Arturo looks at his watch and then takes a notepad and pen from his breast pocket. What do we know about this guy? Okay. I will take care of it.
Arturo puts the phone down, steps outside to find a car waiting for him. He arrives at a small airfield, then boards a private jet and lands at LAX. When he exits the plane, there's a man waiting for him next to a yellow Mercedes. It's Mexican boss, Loza. How was the flight, Arturo? I have some news for you. I spoke with my partners, and we will give you the green light. To move on the Italians? Do whatever you have to, but we expect the results you promised. I'll deliver, Arturo. I need to go to this address. The Gucci store. Are you married? No. Then let's go. Stacy had been called back by ABC regarding Mix and Mingle for the second round of auditions. She showed up, read her lines, and left. But she didn't feel the same kind of sparks that surrounded her first visit. Later that night, she sat with Rachel in a tub of chocolate chip ice cream and watched reruns of Picket Fences. Or was it Grace Under Fire? I can't remember. Two days later, Stacy received a call from her agent, Walker Heyman. He excitedly asked her to come down to his office. Stacy hung up the phone and borrowed Rachel's car for the umpteenth time. However, when she arrived at the talent agency, the tone was very different. The receptionist's eyes were puffy and red. Several office assistants could be seen walking around, sullen and dejected. As Stacy is led toward Walker Heyman's office, she overhears a few other agents talking, which only contributes to her nervousness. Does this look like a latte or a fucking Americano? Do you know the difference? Get me a latte ASAP, or you'll be back stamping tickets in the fucking parking garage. What do you want me to do? He's on another bender. Hey, don't forget who helped you with that fat chick for what's eating Gilbert Grape. I know he's not the easiest to work with, but he's not a pedophile. Okay, I'll make sure he's on set next week. By the time Stacy is greeted by Walker Heyman, she doesn't quite know what to think. Stacy, thanks for coming, doll. How are you? Uh, I'm good, Walker. But what's going on here? Uh, I don't know if you heard or not, Stacy, but today we lost Tom Cruise. Oh no! He passed away? Almost as bad, Stace. He went to a different agency. See, we repped him for a while, and now the big boss isn't taking it too well. That's why everyone's kind of walking around on eggshells here. I'm sorry. Yeah, good guy, good guy. Yeah, he'll be all right. Yeah, sit down, please. Walker throws down a manila envelope. Do you know what this is, Stacy? No, what? This here is a contract from ABC to star as one of the lead roles on Mix and Mingle. Are you serious? That's right, baby. What did I tell you? You're going to be a star. Mix and Mingle is the year's breakout hit. Wow. So I just need you to sign these preliminary contracts and I'll send them to the execs right away. Do I need to have a lawyer read them over? Course not. As your agent, I've taken care of all that nonsense. Oh, great. 
Stacy signs several forms, and as they part ways, Walker says one last thing. Oh, and Stace, piece of uh, professional courtesy here. I would think about moving out of that dumpy apartment of yours. You're going to need to upgrade. When the network sends a car for you, they can't see their future star living in a garbage pile. Remember, it's all about image now. Just think about it. I know some people that could uh, set you up real nice in the hills or Bel Air. Rach, honey! Back at home, Rachel comes out of her room to see the look on Stacy's face. Like a child on Christmas morning. Like an Irishman at an open bar. She was buzzing. Hey, did you... Holy shit. You got it? Stacy nods and smiles. They enthusiastically embrace and jump up and down. Oh my god! Ah! I can barely believe it! Am I dreaming? Wow! Sit down! Tell me everything! They walk arm in arm to the couch. Well, they said it came down to about three girls. I had the most credits, but some of the others had better roles. Uh Uh-huh. And the network is really excited about this one. In the end, I'm going to be Jacqueline, one of the six leads. I'm a single girl, Rach. Wow. I'll probably have some hot love interest or something, but Stacy sighs and looks down. It's just strange now that John's gone. He supported me for a long time, encouraged me. And now it's like I get a role like this. And I, I just want to tell him about it. Stacy blows her nose and lifts her head up. But I can't let it bring me down now. It's going to be great, Rach. I am so happy for you, Stacy. You deserve it. Honey, if you keep trying, you're going to get there too. I don't know. Sometimes I wonder, you know, if it's right for me. Oh, come here. I think, just take a deep breath, lift your head up, and get back out there. We all have rejection now and then, especially in the early days. Yeah, I understand. I've just been thinking, you know, do I really want to go through all this? You're a smart girl, Rach. Whatever you decide, it'll be for the best. And you know I'm here for you. Thanks, Stacy. I'm so happy for you. You're really doing it. Ah, we should celebrate. Sure. Hey, what'd you say the name of it was? It's so cute. Mix and Mingle. Mix and Mingle. The story of two couples and their two single friends. There's Jen, the mother of the group. You can't eat that. It's three days old. And it's cat food. There's Zizi the rock and roll doctor take one tablet twice a day with food and crank up the volume and Jacqueline forever single party girl with a big heart but I do have a date Mr. Zinfandale and I've been seeing him a lot lately here's a pivotal moment in this case 
it's John and Vincent meeting for the very first time. Eddie set the meeting up and naturally tagged along. Did someone say Eddie? That's Eddie. They're in an office in the back of Leo's gym. Eddie is sitting proud, happy to be useful to a guy like Vincent. What a pleasure it is, huh guys? To finally have you two in a room together. Shut up. John turns to Eddie. Yeah, Eddie, I... You too. Okay. Eddie, you've been bugging my guys to set this up. John once again turns to Eddie. What? And you know, Eddie, I think he's getting sick of hearing about it. So that brings us to today. Vincent, if I may, I just thought it could be good for both sides. So you think you know what's good for my side? Wasn't Jesus right when he said the language of business is universal? Vincent looks at John. Are you like this too? You don't take no for an answer? Would you have pushed for a meeting with me? I don't really know you, but no, it's all this guy. This one, huh? I mean, I'm sure he's got good intentions. Oh. Oh, I'm sure he does. So, John, I know what you do. Tell me something. Where do you get your cars? Well, they bring them in on big trucks. From where? Most of them come from the Midwest. Some come from Mexico. Mexico? See? He's an international businessman. Vincent gives Eddie an angry look, then looks back at John. Ah, they got a factory down there. Is it the one in, uh... Uh... Hermosillo. Hermosillo. So, John, how would you feel about doing business with us? Eddie pats John on the back. I really don't know. When you said your guy was getting sick of being bugged by Eddie, I kind of felt the same way about this particular subject. I was sick of Eddie bugging me, so I came. Vincent looks annoyed. But, um, what kind of business would you like to do? I've seen your work, John. We've been to your dealerships. You're a known businessman around town. And I know, from experience, that if we have any chance of working together, it has to be a no-limits kind of thing. You gotta be all in. If we need something and you can help us, you help us. And it's in our best interest to help you. John, what kind of options do you have? Don't crowd the man. I guess I'd just like to think it over if I could. Benson, I'll make sure he thinks about it. Now you don't make him do anything. You stay out of it. And we had our little meeting. He got your wish. So I don't want to hear another goddamn word from you. You got me? Okay, okay. It's no problem. John, we'll talk Monday. Back in the present time, we find Mickey and Ronnie outside an apartment building. 
Now, the Italians have been doing their best to follow through and resolve the John Stone situation, but they haven't gotten too far yet. Boss Frankie clearly knew there was something special about this envelope, and in fact, it was John himself that told Frankie about it. This was when John was really going off the rails and making threats to Vinny. He was basically trying to get some sure footing again and find a way out. Naturally, it didn't take the Italians too long to find out about Stacy and her connection to John. So Vincent sent his guys to follow Stacy, track her down, and inquire. Mickey and Ronnie are walking up the pathway to Stacy and Rachel's apartment. They look around the neighborhood to make sure no one's watching them. Come on, get your shit together. Your hair's all over the place, Mickey says to Ronnie. Ronnie adjusts his hair with his hand. What's the big deal with this girl? Here, you got enough pomade for two? Ronnie reaches towards Mickey's hair. Get out of here! Women are visual creatures, man. She's gonna notice right away if we're sloppy. Looking like we're gonna rob the fucking place. All right, all right. They walk into the main part of the building and look for apartment 14B. They stop in front of the door as Mickey straightens his shirt and Ronnie knocks. Let me do the talking. Stacy comes to the door and answers from inside. Who is it? Hi, ma'am. We're with Geneva Insurance. We're looking for Stacy Hollister. Could we ask you a few questions? I don't need any insurance. Thank you. No, ma'am. We're not here selling. We'd like to ask you about John Stone. Stacy opens the door a little with the chain still attached to get a glimpse of them from outside. She moves her head to see Mickey and Ronnie next to him. You guys don't look like you work for any insurance company. <laughs> we get that a lot. We do field work, sweetheart. John had a life insurance policy with us. He has you listed as one of the benefactors. Stacy's eyes widen. You got any paperwork? Absolutely. But uh, we'll have to get that sent to you later. Secretary just got fired. She was the only one who knew how to fix the damn copy machine back at the office. Sometimes the boss just doesn't think before he goes and fires someone, am I right? Do you think we could come in just a few moments? See, my partner and I, we've been running around all morning, and I would really appreciate it if I could use your restroom. And we'd love to just run over this policy with you regarding assets and inheritance. Stacy thinks for a moment. Um... Just then, Bob comes down the hallway and approaches the Italian standing at her door. Bob tailed Mickey and Ronnie after they left the warehouse, although he didn't expect to end up at his daughter Stacy's apartment. Can I help you, gentlemen? That's my daughter you're talking to, Bob says. Mickey and Ronnie turn and face him as Stacy releases the chain and pulls the door open to see. They're startled by the interruption and both have a confused look on their face as they stare at him. Dad, I didn't know you were stopping by today. Hi, Stace. These guys bothering you? Just then, Mickey remembers Bob. Whoa, I know this guy. Ronnie starts to recall. Yeah, where was it? 
We saw this guy leaving the rhino the other day. Stacy looks at Bob, surprised. Daddy? Yeah, I remember you. You like those girls, don't you, old man? I think it might be time for you guys to leave, Bob says. These guys may recognize Bob, but Bob recognizes them too. And he knows one of these two guys is the name in the envelope. James Ricci. You guys happen to be driving that green Ford Escort outside? Mickey nods. I think you're parked in front of a hydrant. I saw a tow truck pulling up. Not again. They hightail it out of there as Bob and Stacy watch. Stacy faces her dad. Thanks. Don't talk to those guys. They don't work for an insurance company. Who are they? Just give me a call if you see them again. Should I be worried? No. I don't think they'll be bothering you anytime soon. Listen, I've got to go. Stacy hugs him. Okay, Dad. Thanks. Bob starts to leave. The rhino? Bob turns back. It was work. Go see your mother. Bye. Bye, Dad. Drive safe. This was a little too close for Bob. His hands are shaken at the thought of his daughter being followed and questioned by the Italian mafia. Now, it's clear they know who she is and how she's tied to John Stone. That's all the time we have today. Remember, as you navigate this dangerous world, that rattling sound you hear might be a baby's toy, or it might be a deadly aftershock of an exploding hammer. We'll see you next time on How to Survive in LA.